On this episode, we're getting real about authenticity and creating your brand with the kick-ass entrepreneur, Krista Michelli. Let's get started. You're listening to the Think Outside the Lines podcast. Practical solutions and ideas for designing the life you want with an added dose of inspiration. And now, here's your host, Sean Feeney. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Think Outside the Lines podcast. I'm Sean, and you can find me over at my website, thinkoutsidethelines.com, where I help people discover and live their passion. I believe you deserve to live the life you want, and I want to help you design it. My guest today leads a Los Angeles-based agency that partners with brands to solve communication problems through strategic design. Her kick-ass, fearless brand of entrepreneurship will inspire you, and I can't wait for you to meet her. It's time to think outside the lines with my dear friend, Krista Michelli. All right. Are you ready? I am. Krista Michelli, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. So I always start off my interviews with a little icebreaker slash lightning round of questions, which kind of helps the audience get to know you a bit more before we dive in. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm nervous, but go for it. Oh my God. Don't be nervous at all. So (laughs) much fun. All right. Greatest desire in your life at the moment. Ooh, um, to have impact, actually. That's just the biggest, whether it's with my new baby um, or my family or clients, I just think as long as I can influence people positively, that'd be great. Love it. And I can't wait to talk about all those things. Uh, Coffee or tea? Coffee. Favorite season? Ooh, fall. Really? Yeah, we don't really have it in L.A., Um, (laughs) And I get a like mild depression every time, but we just moved to the Valley and it happens here. And so I'm a little giddy at this point. It was like 55 today when I, I woke up. I know it's been so cold all week, actually. So good. <laughs> so good. Favorite song? Um, only because it's on all the time and it gets stuck in my head. Adele's Hello. Interesting. Okay. Good song. Um, what's your like favorite genre of music? Mm, 90s hip hop and R&B. <laughs> I love that you just knew that definitively. 3,000%. Favorite scent or fragrance? Uh, I I have, I don't know. That's a great question. Maybe like cookies or something like fresh out of the oven. I like it. Uh, Favorite day of the year? Mm, These are really hard questions. I (laughs) I feel like I need categories like favorite day in fall, favorite day in winter. Uh, you know, favorite day of the year is any day that I can get up and do like a little bit from every little aspect of my life without having a mild meltdown at the end of the day. Love it. Best childhood memory? Mm, going to my grandpa's office and organizing his office supplies. That's so cool. Uh, favorite place you've ever traveled to? Shit. Oh, am I allowed to cuss on this? Fuck yeah. Say whatever you want. Okay, great. I was going to say fuck, but then I really tone it down. Um, I would say India and Italy, two very different places, but I love them for the same reasons. Yeah, for sure. Uh, worst job ever. Worst job ever. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, door to door salesman. Most spiritual moment in your life thus far. Thus far. I would say, Gosh, that's a really hard one, too. Um, probably the first time my kids smiled at me. Oh, I love that. I can't wait to talk more about that. 
Yeah. Uh, you can recommend one book that will change someone's life. What is it? Probably Rising Strong. Because? Mm, that shit gets real. Pretty yeah. fast. Brene Brown's kind of a genius anyway, but it's really dense with tools to help you take ownership over how you're contributing to um, your own life and people around you. And I think that's really important for people to stop blaming other people and get their shit together. So awesome. Love it. Love it. Now, Krista, you have a kick-ass, fearless brand of entrepreneurship that I have personally always admired. Uh, you're unapologetically yourself, and I'm really fascinated by how that plays into how you do business. So no pressure here or anything, but I feel as if you're the perfect person to articulate the reasons why someone should become an entrepreneur. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey into entrepreneurship and maybe some of the challenges that you've encountered along your path? Yeah, I um, I don't know that I'm a huge advocate for entrepreneurship, especially for everyone, because it's something that requires a lot of tenacity that it's a different kind of tenacity. I think as someone who grew up in her career in an eight to five, very stable environment, um, I wasn't technically raised with that mindset. So stability was a huge priority for me. And that's not something that you get when you forge your own path and start a company. So I always tell people there's no shame in like wanting to work for somebody else. Um, as long as you're doing what you love and you're contributing and you're challenging yourself um, and you're not resentful. I think for people who really have an idea and know what they want and they can't seem to get it in an established organization, entrepreneurship is for you. Um, and for me personally, it just happened because I, you know, had a husband that was like, would you please just start your own company? Because every place that you work, you just sit and bitch about how they're not doing it correctly. Um, and, and it really was one of those moments where you're just like, yeah, I will. And I was all arrogant about it. And then I realized I was part of the problem at every single place that I formerly thought was just full of shit. Um, it's, it was a rude wake up call. And I don't think everybody can handle that. And I'm not saying that in a condescending way. I'm saying that in a, I've always been very self-aware. I've always been relentless about owning my own shit. And when I realized that I was the biggest problem in all of those equations, because of my decision to be an entrepreneur, that was a defining moment. I could either turn around and say, I don't like how this feels. I'm going to go ahead and keep complaining and go work for somebody else, or I'll push through. I'll push through and I'll figure out how to make this better. And I'll create hopefully something that is of value to other people. Wow. I think there's, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Um, what did you, what are some of like the most important things that you did learn about yourself through that process? I learned that, um, I have a very low tolerance for ignorance. Um, and, and I, I don't know that that's necessarily bad, but I had a lot of character flaws in terms of how I presented that. So I was really condescending. I was very like had a superiority complex about, well, I'm clearly so much smarter than everybody that I work for. And my boss is always stupid and blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I realized that everybody does the best that they can with what they have. And I had just happened to have a different lens. It didn't mean that I was better. 
I was just seeing things differently. Um, and that's really humbling when you get some clients <laughs> for the first time, you know, and you don't have a boss to like throw under the bus or employees to throw under the bus. Um, that kind of pushes back at you and says, I, I don't think that your perspective is correct in this situation. It, it really causes you to have to step back and reevaluate what your opinion is. And, and the one thing I hated about other people that I worked for or worked with in the past um, in established organizations was, again, their lack of self-awareness and their seeming arrogance and ignorance in pretty much every decision that they made. And I realized that we're all capable of that, particularly myself. Um, I was just a little bit more stubborn about sticking to my guns than other people were. Would you say you've developed a lot of or some humility through this process? Oh, for sure. For sure. And I think I, for me personally, and this is why I wouldn't say entrepreneurship is right for everyone, but for me, I needed it just to be able to, um, I don't know, be a better person. I was kind of a bitch before that. Once you get kicked down enough times in, in real life, <laughs> not as, as awesome as you thought you were. Um, yeah, it is a humbling experience, but I think it's necessary. Totally. Now, you are not just an entrepreneur yourself. You also work with other entrepreneurs. Can you yep. can you describe a little bit the entrepreneur of 2016, what, what they look like and how you maybe see that evolving over the next five to 10 years even? Yeah, I think um, I say this with a lot of caution. I think um, a lot of entrepreneurs now are just very, the I'm nervous to even say it, very unaware and uneducated. Um, a lot of them I feel are more creative entrepreneurs, which, you know, is a term that we throw around a lot now where you have a craft and you're really good at it. And it's probably in the creative field, but you know nothing about business and you know very little about leadership as well. And so what we've noticed in our business is that you've got a lot of amateurs trying to create empires and, for my company specifically, although that's how our company started was helping that demographic of the entrepreneur population, it's just so taxing on us because there's just so much education that has to go into it. Um, and it's devastating to watch because it's almost like a self-sabotaging thing. Like they never really wanted to run companies. They just wanted to do their craft. Um, so I see that as one demographic and it's pretty large right now. Uh, the other piece is, you know, people that are leaving the workforce because it's, you know, it's no safer than having your own company. And they're very in the know, really smart, probably um, not so much in the craft area, like art, but they're doing like widget making or, you know, service-based industry. And I think those people are really killing it because they've spent a lot of time in existing organizations that have been sustainable for a really long time. And they've taken the good pieces of it and adapted the pieces of it that they didn't feel were working. And I hope that's where entrepreneurship goes in the future. Awesome. Why, why is branding so important? And can you elaborate a little bit on your definition of branding? Yeah, branding is important. And again, this has become a household word unfortunately, because a lot of people think branding equals design. Um, I would say branding is important for us because it's it's the way that you 
are able to accurately communicate what you actually do and what you're about and what you stand for. And then in return, create advocates for that particular message. And there's different layers of branding. Um, For us, we attack it from a strategy standpoint that then informs design so that the design is solving some communication problems. Um, But I, I think it's critical because it allows you to, or it forces you to take a really hard look at who you are and what you stand for and the values that are surrounding the culture that you're creating. And it causes you to, to make really tough decisions um, accordingly. And I think a lot of people who skip that piece of the process and just go straight to design aren't, those are the entrepreneurs that I'm talking about who aren't really in it for the long haul. They're just trying to create something that's trendy and cool and looks awesome, but doesn't really stand for anything. And I, I don't think that's sustainable. So kind of elaborate a little bit because you you've mentioned some of the frustrations that you've had working with entrepreneurs what is something that you see consistently amongst these people at the beginning of their journey maybe that is is particularly frustrating to you and how do you with with your work help them through these challenges um i think the resistance to the you know being the solution to their own problems that's that's the biggest thing um in order to work with my company that has to go away pretty quickly or else we have to fire you. Like we can't get our work done if you're not willing to to understand that you're in control of how this thing plays out. Um, it's nobody else's responsibility if it's your company. So that rude awakening, I think, is kind of the defining moment really early on as to whether or not this thing is going to work out. Um, the people who who grab onto that and say, oh my gosh, thank you for pointing that out. I had no idea. How do we fix this? Um, and really grapple with it. Those are some of the most significant brands that we've helped create. Um, the people who resist it instantly and just keep pushing back and pushing back. Um, those are the ones who we can't help. And we end up kind of cutting ties and going our separate ways. I want to talk a little bit about that more later. I have some specific questions about that for you, but to go back a little bit, you made the decision to pretty early on to tackle things with a business partner. Um, what did you learn about business through the eyes of that person? And do you recommend that for someone that may just be starting out? Yeah. So for my business specifically, I knew that, um, just from my own philosophy, that branding was a holistic process and it didn't start and end with strategy, which is my piece of the pie. Um, I knew that people really needed, um, assistance from experts to get them all the way through, you know, those touch points, which are the visual identity piece and the, the digital piece, the design piece. And I, I, I wasn't capable of doing that piece of it. So when I partnered with Gary, you know, we had been talking about it before we started our company and he has the very same philosophy in terms of, you know, strategy is king kind of thing. Um, but we also knew that not every company was going to want to do this really extensive strategy process up front. So we've been able to work together and figure out how do we ask the right questions? How do we get them through this process without it being super lengthy, but really valuable? Um, For me to have a business partner is critical. I need the accountability and I need somebody else's perspective and and the challenge. I like the like butting heads piece of it because I think that's what sharpens us. Um, and he couldn't be a better partner for me specifically. Now, for people who don't need somebody else in order to complete the process, um, 
you know, obviously I don't think a business partner is necessary, but I'm also an extrovert. So having someone to like verbally process with before I go guns a blazing on a speaking circuit or, you know, in a client meeting is, is pretty helpful. Now you talk a lot about strategy and you say specifically that strong brands start with a plan and not Photoshop, which I love. Um, for those who might not get that, can you elaborate a bit? Yeah, it just goes back to the idea that branding isn't design. So just because you have a cowboy hat doesn't make you a cowboy. I think Seth Godin said that at one point. And <laughs> I couldn't agree more. It's like just because you have a logo doesn't mean that you have a message. You know, it doesn't mean that you have a company. It doesn't mean they have a movement. Um, so it starts with an idea. It starts with a calculated plan for how you're going to actually execute this thing. And every brand has a promise. And if you're not able to deliver on that, um, who gives a shit if you have a cool logo? You know what I mean? Like at, at a certain point, your fancy little website is going to reveal <laughs> whether you actually are able to back that stuff up or you're just faking it. So, yeah. <laughs> Can you talk a bit about the different types of branding agencies that are out there and maybe why yours is different? Yeah, I would say um, traditionally branding has been, you know, advertising, you know, pre-internet days. Um so you've got the Don Drapers of the world, the ad agencies, um, because branding is now not just reserved for fortune 500 companies and their executive teams and whoever giant agency that they've chosen, you have a ton of bottom feeders who are like, you know, graphic designers straight out of college who say they do branding, um, but know nothing about what it takes to actually build a brand. They just know what it takes to, to create a graphic. And that sounds really harsh and again, condescending, but it's not, I don't mean it to sound that way. They're just using the terminology that somebody gave them. Like, Hey, every brand needs a logo. So instead of saying I do logo design, they say I do branding. Um, and that's created a lot of confusion. So you've got massive agencies who do, you know, the fortune 50 fortune 500 companies. And then you've got everything in between. You've got strategy firms, you have design firms, you have media firms, you have PR firms, you have all these things. And then you've got these tiny little, you know, 24 year olds doing really cool designs for people. Um, and chalking it up to branding. Ours falls somewhere in the middle where we say we're not just a strategy firm and we're not just designers were strategic designers um, who come in and create a holistic experience for you that doesn't cost you, you know, $500,000 for your first round of logos. So having known you for a while, I've watched your business grow and it's been really cool to watch that. One thing I've noticed is that your clients typically start out as like fans who ultimately become your friends. Um, why do you, what do you think it is about your message that resonates so deeply with the people that you work with? Um, I think it's the honesty. We don't really have much to hide. I mean, if you're going to work with us in the capacity that, you know, our clients are expected to work with us, it's pretty intimate. So, you know, for us to pretend that we're someone that we're not, I, the first conversation with me is going to be a rude awakening if I'm not, you know, equally as honest um, on all of our, our platforms. So, yeah, I think a lot of people are attracted to that. I don't think that happens a lot, ironically. Um, so we tell it like it is. We are pretty feisty. Um, 
And we're, we're not afraid of our clients, which I think is, it doesn't mean that we don't respect them because we definitely do, but we're not afraid of them. And I think that's a huge differentiator with us. And people crave that. We had no idea that just being honest um, was going to attract that many people. And now, you know, as a result, we attract like-minded individuals and it's really hard not to become friends and want a vacation with them and <laughs> hang out with their kids. That's amazing. I think it's the authenticity piece that resonates with people, especially in 2016. For sure. Um, talk a little bit about your process and how you collaborate with the people that you work with. Yeah. So our process starts with um, what we call as brand therapy. And it's just a, an opportunity for us to get real with where has this company been? Um, where is it now? What are some of the biggest issues that you have that you're hoping that we're going to solve for you? Um, and then we take a little pause there and say, oh, if that's what you're hoping we're going to solve, um, we either will or won't be able to do that by the end of our time together. Um, we set expectations and then um, we get really clear about where we want to go in the future um, and whether or not that's going to happen. And in sort of a relaunch of the brand or if it's going to have to happen in a bunch of different phases. Um, and those are just a series of really difficult questions with, you know, whoever is on the team, on the lead team. Um, and then we move from that after we've got gathered all that information and, and put it into a really pretty little document. Um, we move right on into, des into design and try to unpack that visually. Um, so the process, you know, for some clients, they want to be really in it and collaborative. Some people just want us to get the job done. Um, either way, you know, we don't really care. We just want to make sure that it's helpful for them and that they they have a piece of ownership on it or else, you know, once we leave, the thing falls apart. Um, but it's not necessary that like they're in it every single step of the way unless they want to be. What, what are some of the top elements to consider when establishing your brand? Mm, I would say uh, the first thing is taking a step back and identifying what the values of the culture actually are and writing them down and not just something that's going to go like in the break room on a poster that nobody ever looks at. Um, I would say what what decisions um, are being made and, and what's driving those decisions. Do we actually know what we stand for? Um, getting really clear on that is pretty much a game changer. Once people have written those down and they have their own definitions for what those values are within the culture, things start to, to become very clear. Like, oh, we hate working with these kinds of clients because it, it, it forces us to go against everything that we care about. No wonder. We had no idea. Um, or, oh my God, no wonder people don't understand what we do. We we had no idea that we were communicating this thing over here, which goes completely against all of our values. Um, and it's just because they hadn't written it down and, and hadn't had a kumbaya you know, moment with their team. So that would be the first thing. Do you find that um, that, process, that process looks different when you're working with like a solopreneur versus like a big company? Or is it pretty much the same across the board? Um, you know, the only difference is that for a solopreneur, it's a lot of the values tend to be their personal values, um, you know, because they're either selling themselves or uh, it's it's very closely related to who they are as an individual. 
Um, I would say the same is, is true for a bigger company, but because you have so many different people involved, you're not all going to have exactly the same values, but you're going to have similar ones or else you wouldn't be joining together. Now that's where things get a little tricky. Um, if you've got like a handful of disgruntled employees who are always pushing back in this particular part of our process, which is the first conversation that we have with our client, like talk about getting real fast. Um, we start to see the dissonance within the team and we're able to point out like, Hey, maybe the reason you hate working here is because your personal values aren't in line with the company's values. And like, you're never going to be happy here. You're basically having to check your own values at the door in order to work for, for this company. Um, are you okay with that? If you're okay with that, there's no more bitching. Like, <laughs> I mean, now you're making a conscious decision. Um, if you, you know, if you're not okay with that, we need to talk about what the next steps are for you. Totally. Now, I'm not sure if you remember this, but back when I used to do more consulting work, I came to you for advice on how to fire a client. And it was such a challenge. It was such a challenging experience for me because I knew that I needed to do it for the sake of my own sanity. But I also knew that it would be a hit to my bank account. Right. Yep. And I remember you gave me some great advice. Can you talk a little bit about the instincts that you've developed over the years that enable you to decide who you want to work with and maybe more importantly, who you don't want to work with? Yeah, I think the value thing is big. You know, sometimes you can't really figure out before you sign the client whether or not they're going to be a good fit. Um, I have some key indicators, at least for my my own business that I've developed, um, like questions that I ask and if the answer is terrible <laughs> or if it's not in line at all with what we do. Like if I ask someone, hey, like what are your expectations for our time together? And they're like, I just want a really rad website. I'm like, cool, I'll give you the name. <laughs> uh, like a kid at Cal State Northridge who would be a really good fit for you. Um, or if people are like, you know what, we're, if the answer to that question is, you know, we, I don't think that people understand who we are. Like, is there any way that we can help change that perception? That is an awesome answer. Like, you know, I get like a lady boner with that one. Um, so I think having specific questions and knowing, however they answer will indicate whether or not they're, they're going to be a hell, like a hellish client, or they're going to be a really good fit in deciding whether or not you want to take them. I don't think you have to say no to all the like shit clients. You know, sometimes you have to keep your lights on. Um, but more often than not, they cause you more money or they cost you more money than, you know, the ones who are awesome. Absolutely. And time and anguish. For sure. Um, now that you have a successful business, can you reflect on a time when you felt stuck as you worked to grow your business and maybe some tips that you can offer up that have personally helped you overcome these obstacles? Yeah. I mean, just because our company is still alive doesn't mean that we don't still have seasons of, oh shit, is this the end of it? Like, are we drying up? Is there no longer a need for this? Um, you know, before it blows up again. Um, I, I think those stuck periods are actually really important. And I think they happen like for the rest of my career. And I, I kind of would hope they do because when things are going really well, I don't step back and reevaluate. I just ride the gravy train when things get a little gnarly. That's when I'm like, okay, maybe this is a time that we reevaluate what's actually happening in our industry. And what are the other opportunities out there that we're not aware of? that maybe we need to get ahead of so that, you know, we can kill it once, you know, 
the gravy train comes back. Um, yeah. So I would say whenever I feel stuck, instead of like wallowing in my sorrows and freaking out, um, I start asking harder questions like, what are the opportunities that we're missing? Um, is there something outside of our industry that uh, we're not thinking about? Are there strategic partnerships that we could be making so that there's a little bit more sustainability long term? Um, like, what sword am I dying on that's killing my business? <laughs> One. Um, am I being too stubborn or am I like really fighting for this for a reason? How do you reflect on that? Like when you think you are being stubborn, like what, how do you pause and, and come to the conclusion? Um, it's usually my business partner. <laughs> I'm, I'm way too close to it. Like I will, like he's way more logical in, in that sense, which is hilarious to me. Cause I, I always like to, you know, pin him as the, like, Oh, the cute little designer that's so emotional and he's totally not. Um, he usually comes at me and says, Krista, this is going to turn into a glorified hobby if we don't start seeing things a little differently. Um, and, and I always look at him and I want to like slap him a little bit and be like, you're rude and wrong and I hate you <laughs> and we're not friends anymore. And like, I'm buying you out. And, you know, I think about it for two seconds and he's totally right. I think, yeah, my the sword that I die on is always strategy. Um, how we present that has had to mature and morph. I think, you know, I always want that to be the dominant conversation. And he's like, I don't, you know, what if culture is not ready for that? You know, what if we can't continue to get business because people don't value that yet? Um, and that like kills babies in my head, you know, I'm like, oh my God, like <laughs> this is the worst. Um, but he's right. And you just have to consistently reevaluate without compromising what you believe in. You have to consistently reevaluate how people are receiving that information. Um, and if you're communicating it correctly enough to get the, the kinds of clients that you would really enjoy working with. I love it. Now, you are recently a new mother. Congratulations again, by the hey, way. Thanks. How's that working out? It's awesome. Is motherhood it's, uh, everything you dreamed? <laughs> well, I never wanted to be a mom until like a year and a half ago. And um, yeah, I, I was nervous about it. I was really nervous about what it would do to my career. I think culturally we do a really bad job of supporting not to get on like a female empowerment soapbox, but I think we do a really bad job of supporting parents in general um, who love their careers and also have the capacity to love more than just their careers you know, i.e. children. Um, so yeah, I, it's been a really fun transition. Again, I have a business partner who has two kids and he's incredibly supportive. So it's been like bring your newborn to work day every day <laughs> for the last two months. Um, and our clients are, you know, super engaged. And so every Skype call, they're like, Hey, we want to see the kid. So, it, you know, it hasn't been as terrible or as, traumatizing <laughs> as I thought it was going to be. Um, and I highly recommend it. That's awesome. I, I did want to ask a question about it that didn't sound cliche. Um, and I think you actually, you answered a lot of my question, but how has it, how has having a child changed your perspective on business and maybe just your overall life priorities in general? Um, I think the, the biggest shift has just been focus. You know, 
you have less concentrated time. Uh, and I hear, heard a lot of parents talk about that and I didn't, if you don't have kids, I think it's kind of out of context and it's really scary. I don't, I don't, I didn't like it when people were like, your, your life is never going to be the same because that's really big and overwhelming and nobody likes that kind of shift in their life. Um, even if you're ready for a change, you're not ready for like everything to be different. And, and I don't think it is, I think it's just an added layer of complexity, um, a lot of things in my life have not changed. The biggest thing is just I'm more focused. I have limited time, you know, where I actually get to, you know, sit and think about one thing for longer than two seconds. And I have a list of things that I want to tackle when that time comes. There's no more like dilly dallying around and like trying to figure out how I'm going to fill my time anymore, which is kind of nice. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what advice would you give to someone out there who maybe is in the early stages of building their business and thinking about having a child? Oh, I, first of all, if you're a chick, I would say read lean in. Um, that was incredibly helpful for me to, to see how a fortune 500 executive tackled it. Um, and it was just empowering. It's, you know, her whole concept of leaning in is something that I've taken to heart at every turning point of this whole parenthood journey. It's like, okay, 3am feeding, let's do this. Let's lean into it. Let's just get it done. Um, you know, oh shit, I have a client call and my kid is freaking the fuck out. Like, what am I going to do? It's like, let's just lean into this shit. Let's get it done. Like, yeah, I think it's just really good feedback. Um, I think if you try to stop everything in your life in anticipation for the chaos that, you know, supposedly comes with a tiny human, I don't know. I think it's detrimental. But again, that's my own personal value. My husband and I are both entrepreneurs and we wanted our kid to grow up in an environment where they they got to see their kid or their families take risks for things that they were really passionate about. And if I stopped doing that, then it's I, I don't personally know how I would be able to communicate that that's something that you should do. I love that. Uh, and I think it's definitely important to raise kids in that environment, especially in 2016. Uh, now, I want to talk about social media for just a second because I feel like you are kind of like the social media maven. Um, you, with my 10 followers. I'm just kidding. With your what? My 10 followers. Oh, I, for some reason I thought you had a lot more followers than that. No, I do, but it's not okay. like a gazillion. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I, I think that you do it really well and I think that you – you have a great balance between like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. Like, can you talk a little bit obviously about the importance of it today? I think we all know that social media is an important part of your brand and your strategy, but how do you, you do it from like a standpoint, I don't know how to explain it. You have to almost kind of see it, but like you integrate like your personal life with your professional life. And I think that authenticity is like really cool. Yeah. Um, I definitely, I love social media. First of all, I was the kid, you know, pre internet, pre digital, everything, um, who had a camera with her in her backpack at school and would document everything. And I've journaled since I was in second grade. So Instagram is like my favorite thing on the planet because it allows me to document my life and journal about it without having to like, I still have a handwritten journal, but I get to do that without it being like, I'm waiting for my film to come back from the, you know, grocery store. Um, I think because that has always been such a natural part of my life, it's really easy for me to be authentic on that platform. I'm also really strategic though. It's Instagram specifically is a place where 
I know almost all of my followers because I have some sort of interaction with them at whatever capacity, whether through speaking engagements or our company or, you know, just because of life stage, people start following you because they're inspired by how you're able to be a mom and have a career or whatever it is. Um, so I use that platform specifically for influence. Um, Facebook is more of like loading pictures of my kids so that my family can see it who don't live here. Um, I'm not as active on that platform anymore because it's just full of trolls and that it's just annoying to me. Um, so true. <laughs> blogging, I kind of stopped doing that as well because again, that focus conversation, like if I'm going to spend X amount of time, um, away from like my family or my business, just blogging about like my own perspective, I need to know what the return on that investment is. And it just can't be inspiration anymore. I need it to lead to, you know, numbers at this point. Um, so I kind of, I've halted that for the time being. Um, I would say in some ways your, your Instagram has become kind of like your blog. Yeah, no, I definitely see Instagram as like a micro blogging platform. Um, but again, my audience lives on Instagram. So what I always tell my clients, like, you know, who are like, oh, I need to have a Pinterest account and you have this account and you have this account and you Snapchat. Oh, I'm like, first of all, you've never even looked at Snapchat. So calm down. Um, Twitter, I'm, I've become a troll on Twitter. I just use it to like get my news. Basically, I don't contribute, which is super shitty, but like, I, I don't have time for it. I invest most of my social media time into Instagram. Um, I think you just have to be really clear about what you want the platform to do for you. And if you're not going to be actively engaged in the community, then like get off, like stop wasting airspace and like handles, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just, it doesn't make sense. And I don't think you have to be active on every single platform in order to be relevant. I think you have to know who your audience is and what you want to accomplish and figure out where they're spending most of their time. And for me, it, you know, again, it is Instagram. I love that. And I agree with you. Now, speaking of, of inspiration, who is someone who's really inspired you in your life? Mm, I, I think my grandpa was the biggest um, just because he, he led with such authenticity. Um, who he was when, you know, we'd visit him at his office. He was the president of a company that he had never worked anywhere else. He started as an apprentice when he was like 18 and, be, you know, took over later in his career. Um, everyone loved him. He tried to retire and they had to keep him on because all the relationships, you know, in terms of client relationships were because of him. Um, and he was no different around us than he was, you know, when I walked around the shop and like saw him interact with employees or when I like went to client meetings with him when I was like eight, you know, um, so that was huge to see how that works, like that you don't have to be two different people. Um, my first boss out of undergrad was very similar. She was such a ball buster, but she fought really hard for me. Um, and, you know, when people say, oh, women are horrible in the workplace, they don't advocate for other women. I never actually experienced that uh, because of her. And I, that was huge. That was huge to be able to have that at the very beginning of my professional career. Um, because I didn't walk in with the chip on my shoulder that like everyone was out to get me. Um, which was really, really cool. Um, and she, she really advocated for my, my like outside of work interests, which 
I feel like I try really hard to do with my team. Like I don't see it as a threat that they have a life outside of work. Um, so yeah, I think those are the two really big in terms of career. Those Good are the stuff. two ones. Good stuff. Uh, you have unlimited money and resources. How will you change the world? Um, I think investing in, in other people, I'm really big on microfinance. I think, um, if I had unlimited resources, I would fund as many small businesses across the world as I could who had a plan, um, through organizations who are already doing it really well. Um, yeah. And I think education, huge. If we could just get people, um, the right education that they need across the world, we'd have so fewer problems, both violence, um, but also just the general ignorance that comes with some of the shit that's happening in our world. So definitely, definitely. What do you hope looks like five years from now? What do I hope what? What do you hope looks like five years from now? Um, I, you know, honestly, I just hope there's a little bit more, um, ownership of the decisions that we make. I, I think that would, I think it would be a really awesome thing to see people not be as defensive. And I say that for myself as well. Um, just not as defensive, not stubborn and holding on to things that just really don't matter. I think we would all work a little bit better together if we did that. What do you believe is the message that you were brought here to share with the world? Uh, I would say just to be real. And it's not that people aren't doing that. Um, I think I do it in my own specific way. You know, I think we get really caught up on what's the one thing that I'm here for that like nobody else in human history has ever done. And I would like to believe that I'm one of a lot of people who are capable of, of providing that kind of environment and message. Um, I just, I have my own sphere of influence that, you know, they're not privy to. So the more honest and tell it like it is that I can be, hopefully the more freedom other people feel in having those kinds of conversations. Good stuff. Thinking about your family and the career that you've built, what do you hope will be your legacy? Yeah, that's, you know, that's something that's still in progress for me. I think, um, pre child, it was, you know, I realized how self-serving it was. Like I wanted people to martyr me as an individual. Um, after my grandpa died a year ago, it's so funny. He was one of the most significant people in my life and it's, it's been a year and it's devastating and interesting to see how we just move on, you know, like we have to. So legacy means something very different to me now. And I haven't really pinpointed what I want that to look like, to be honest. And I don't know if it's, um, I feel like it's more finite than maybe I anticipated, that's, which is fine. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, what is your definition of success and do you think that you've achieved it? Yeah, I think um, my definition of success would definitely be, am I able to have the lifestyle that I want um, because I've worked hard at something that is really important to me and added value to other people? Um, I think I've achieved it. I don't think I'm where I want to be in terms of, you know, financial security, but you know what, at the end of the day, that's not as, that's not a metric of my success. It's a little bit more of a, a push 
a push to keep, you know, challenging myself to make sure that we, you know, take things to the next level. I love that so much because everyone that I talk to says that about success and like the financial piece. I think that there's this illusion that like that's what success looks like. Mm. And it's so not true. And and I love that so much. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, yeah, it's not comfortable by any means. And I wouldn't suggest it as a long-term <laughs> strategy, um, you know, to be a responsible citizen of the world. But, you know, I think that we're in a season now where we have to take far more risks financially than we do that, you know, than we'll have to later. And, and hopefully this just trains us to be able to take the same kind of risk, but in a different capacity, uh, you know, once we hit that marker of financial success. For sure. Krista, I want to thank you so much for chatting with me today. I know you don't have a ton of time, free time lately, but um, I'm confident that you've really provided a lot of value to everyone today. So thanks. It was fun to talk to you. Thank you. Tell us where we can connect with you on the web. Um, Instagram, it's Krista Michelli, um, K-R-Y-S-T-A-M-A-S-C-I-A-L-E. Um, you'll get a good dose of personal and professional life. Um, I would say the other great place to connect would be bigdealbranding.com. Um, you know, we've got a lot of good information up there and you can see some of the work that we've done, which was really fun. Cool. I want to thank you again for coming on the show. You are an incredible force to be reckoned with, and it's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. All right. I want to thank Krista again for just providing so much value to us today and for her time, of course. If you're enjoying the podcast, please head over to iTunes and be sure to subscribe. And while you're there, please share your thoughts with a quick review. I would appreciate it. You can find me and everything we talk about on the show in the show notes over at thinkoutsidethelines.com slash podcast. Until next time, go out there and do what makes you happy. And remember, the best way to predict the future is to create it. For more information, please visit thinkoutsidethelines.com.